0: Good evening and welcome back to the premiere episode of Washington Through Teen Lenses. We're now going to start part two of this episode with our first discussion moderated by Purnima.
1: Yes, so our next topic is the U.S.-Mexico border surge. So it's no secret that the Trump administration oversaw some of the largest waves of migration at the U.S.-Mexico border since the mid-2000s. Recently, the numbers have surged even higher under the Biden administration. There were over 170,000 people hoping to cross the border in March alone, which is most likely due to the series of deadly hurricanes that hit all over Central America. So not only have these migrants been devastated by climate changes, such as droughts and floods, but they've also obviously had to deal with COVID-19. Now, one of the Biden's administration's many promises was to create a quote-unquote fair and humane immigration system, but notably many of his supporters are not satisfied with his efforts so far. More specifically, they're finding fault in his reluctance, some may even say refusal, to eliminate Title 42, which is a program that relies on a 1944 public health statute to permanently close the border to any travel deemed non-essential by the Department of Homeland Security. So the Biden team claims that they're keeping Title 42 in place in order to control the coronavirus outbreak. However, many experts are finding a problem backing the program up. So we have multiple lawyers, lawmakers, and even UN officials that have said that Title 42 makes it so difficult, so impossible for these migrants to cross the border that the policy is unconstitutional and therefore illegal. So like the administration before it, the Biden administration is supposedly violating both US and international law by continuing this policy. I'd like to start off the conversation with Ahan. Ahan, do you think that the Biden administration is doing anything wrong by allowing this policy to exist? Do you genuinely believe that their motivation is to slow down coronavirus cases? Or are they purposefully trying to block out these migrants?
0: Absolutely not. No, I don't think he's doing anything wrong with Title 42. Look, every country has restricted immigration during COVID. I mean, uh, even we, we are still banned from half of the world, uh, American citizens. And uh, and when you say blocking out the migrants, that's what's actually supposed to be happening in the first place. We should discourage illegal immigration and instead encourage legal immigration. I mean, look, immigration built this country and America is a nation of immigrants. Done. But we also need to respect that the government needs to be the one to let them in. Look, uh, and this is personal for me. I'm the son of two immigrants and they came here through a fair and legal process. And a lot of people, in fact, wait, um, wait decades to get their visas and uh, and they you know, they follow the law, they get here and they they um, they chase the American dream. So think about this. We're the only country in the world right now where people find it a problem to say you shouldn't move here unless somebody lets you. So now I find the recent atrocities um, in the detention centers, which and the, the, by the way, the often the two are often interconnected, the the, the detention centers and the. Um, and illegal immigration in general, they're completely different topics. I completely abhor the way that the, the some of the migrants at the detention centers were treated, and especially this uh, the family separation is um, is absolutely heartbreaking to um, um, to, to see. Um, but, but but that's not that's not the point that anybody's making at this at this time. Um, r- right now, uh, I, I'm uh, frankly disappointed in the administration's handling of the border crisis because we need to project that we want to help everyone. But it can't be this way. It's hurting honest people who are supposed to be here. And it's hurting the immigrants who are patient and law-abiding and let and let the United States take care of them instead of taking matters into their own hands. So um, we need to show that we are willing to help anybody as long as, as long as they can let us help them. So, no, I don't think keeping Title 42 is a problem. I think, in fact, the Biden administration needs isn't doing enough to discourage uh, illegal immigration while also not projecting a xenophobic and anti-legal immigration message, which was a mistake uh, that I think President Trump made in in his handling because he kind of went after immigrants, uh, went after all immigrants. So I think we need a we need to have a clear line that illegal illegal immigration is not good, legal immigration is good, and there should be a, a thick and very plain and um, clear distinction between the two.
1: Thank you, Lahan. Um, I sympathize with a couple of your points. You know, I'm also the child of two immigrants. I'm an immigrant myself. And I think obviously we're the ones to understand how hard our parents, how hard we worked to come into this country through a legal, a legal manner. And I agree that, I agree that it's two different topics, you know, the condition of the migrants and how they're being handled at the border, I think is a different issue than um, Title 42. But obviously, you know, obviously, we sympathize with these refugees who have come fleeing climate changes and just you know they're coming north for hopes of a better life so I wanted to touch on something else you said so how you said
0: well look that's that's a topic for another day with regard to how we're going to handle legal immigration today the the topic is illegal immigration and the the fact of the matter is today that people are um, just strolling into the country without any paperwork and without any permission which I think is um, it, it needs to be clear that this is unacceptable and I'm, like I said, I'm disappointed in the way that the administration has handled the, the border crisis. I mean, uh, in an interview, um, I think it was with Stephanopoulos, and President Biden said, don't come. And that's not, that's not a very good, um, th- that you're not projecting a lot of strength by saying that. I'm not saying you need to not let anybody in. I'm saying we need to let in the people that, you know, that that asked to be let in and you know waited for their turn and got the got the visa and did everything and this is really um i agree that this should not be a very controversial matter in that um you know if you if you get a visa you get you come in and if you don't get a visa you maybe you try again so it's really like we need to be helping we can't say we're not going to have immigration and that once again that is a mistake that the trump administration said is he went after immigrants and he in my opinion, he fueled a sort of uh, a xenophobic sentiment. Um, but th- that is absolutely not what we should be doing. We should be doing what we should be doing is getting a clear message that illegal immigration is unacceptable. But if you're willing to come here legally, we're going to let you in. So that's um, now how we're going to let people in, and what they need to do, and the numbers, and all that. That's a topic for another day. But today, we I just want to say that we need to show that you can't just come walking across the border and expect to have a free ticket. And I think that's, frankly, I don't find that. No, I don't find reason to find. Uh, I don't understand why that's so um, controversial.
1: Thank you, Ahan. I want to turn over the discussion to Annabelle. Annabelle, I'd like to ask you something similar. So. What do you think the real intentions are behind keeping Title 42 in place? Should it exist? And if not, what do you think should be the alternative?
2: Sure. Yeah, I think there is some degree of reason and a good intention behind Title 42 because, you know, the coronavirus is still a very large problem and um, we need to have at least a little degree of restrictions on know, who can who we can let in in response to the coronavirus. But, you know, I think with the issue of illegal immigration versus legal immigration, you know, we've been seeing this disastrous combination of poverty, gang violence, uh, human trafficking, and these countries aren't able to deal with it. So I don't think it's so much an issue of, you know, you can wait your turn for a chance to come into the country um, versus just coming here illegally. These people are facing, you know, life or death issues. And um, you know, I think that there needs to be some degree of control over who we do let in, but I don't think it's so much a black and white issue is that you know you should wait your turn for a visa because you know some people they do wait their turn. They wait years and years, wait for a court date. They you know, stay on the border, you know, fleeing these terrible conditions. And then, you know, in a year or two, they might be dead because, because of this gang violence, this poverty, um, I don't think it's so much of an issue of them just having the opportunity to be able to wait and to be able to come here legally, because, you know, I very much relate in that way of, you know, my parents came here, as immigrants, they came here legally, but the conditions that they faced versus the conditions that we're seeing now on the border and um, in Latin America—they're very much different. Because my parents, they came here for you know, as everyone does, for a better opportunity for their children for themselves. Um, but they weren't fleeing, you know, life or death violence. They weren't fleeing, you know, drug trafficking in their communities. So I think that we do de- we do need to have. Um, a little bit of flexibility when we're considering this issue. But um, in regards to the Biden administration, I think that we've seen the conditions just with the border and the vast increase in the sheer amount of immigration. I don't think that the administration has handled this issue very well at all. And there needs to be some kind of solution and some um, kind of legislation in the very near future that addresses this because this is... One of the largest issues that we're facing and you know we didn't see a lot of progress under the trump administration, but if we don't change anything now, then the same thing is just going to continue we're going to continue seeing this issue um, unless something's done.
1: Thank you so much Annabelle and thank you for providing that insight about how this is a very complicated issue a very gray issue like you said it's not. Black and white by any means. And I think we're very privileged, you know, to come on here and to even discuss this when you have families, like you said, fighting for their lives, fleeing their countries with only the hope that maybe another country will take them. So thank you for that. Um, Okay, so Anshu, I'd like to end our discussion about this with you. So as you probably already know, a very popular slogan during the Biden campaign was settle for Biden, where many Biden supporters expressed that they felt that Biden was the lesser of two evils. I feel as if this is what those supporters were talking about, you know, many people who are unhappy with many people who were unhappy with Trump's immigration policies are now the same people criticizing Biden's somewhat similar policies. Now, like I said, with Ahan, it seems that Republicans are mad that um, border control is not as strict as strict as it is, and Democrats are on the opposite side of the spectrum. Do you believe that Biden was not true to his promise to reform the Trump administration's immigration policies, or have we not given him enough time to really do anything?
3: I think Biden is trying, yet he is going about it a very not broad way. As in, I do see his pathway to citizenship that really will aid um uh dreamers or um illegal immigrants uh, with uh, I believe like some certain years of visa, certain years to citizenship, um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And he does promote this pro um immigration uh just policy. And on top of that, he does not have enough border securities because once I believe the past presidents, and this was one of the biggest concerns with this whole um immigration um uh, or Biden's immigration policy is that when past presidents promote a pro-immigration policy, they do tighten up border security because that does give illegal immigrants an incentive to come into America and come in in groups. And really, like, as we're seeing right now, there are, there have been, there has been a surge of illegal immigrants coming into America. And I believe that's one of the issues onto why is because Biden's promoting this pro-immigration itself, like, let's not even separate illegal or legal at this point, but um, that's giving illegal immigrants incentive to come into America, but he's not tightening up border security. And that's what I believe is one of the main issues of how Biden is going about immigration is either you, um, I believe in a way, promote either legal or illegal immigration, but he he needs to be politically correct in a sense, and not really uh, criminalize, criminalize illegal immigrants, because that's one of the biggest stances on like his running and becoming president. But because of his really iffy, like, is he doing it? Is he not? Like we still have like camps for children, but he gave it a new name. Like I see the whole controversy going around. And that is really what settling for Biden is is that he is essentially doing the same thing that a president has to do. Like I'm not even calling him a bad president in this case because there's no other option right now when it comes to Covid or when it comes to the surge of immigrants but he's giving it a new name to be politically correct. Like that is settling for Biden and that's my perspective.
1: All right, thank you so much, Anshu and Ahan, our last topic, I'll hand it over.
0: All right, well, our final topic is our timeless topic for um, today. We're gonna have, um, so this is not really a headline as it is a, um, a situation that is developing and is extremely, Um, uh, interesting. So uh, our timeless topic for today is former President Donald Trump, who has uh, recently been very active in politics since um, his departure from the White House with his um, CPAC speech and frequent statements on his uh, Save America PAC, I think it's called. So um, despite his being banned from Twitter, which I think is a huge, it made a huge difference, and um, Politics would, frankly, be very different if you were st- if you were still on Twitter. Um, I don't think any former president in recent decades has been as active as Trump. Um, like four years ago, Obama was having the time of his life in French Polynesia. So this is very very strange, um, and it's a break from normality, which is a theme in it in the Trump era. Um, you know, not being the Classic, normal uh, establishment guy. So he's mixing it up yet again. Um, What also interests me here is that he has such a firm grip over the GOP. Um, You know, first and foremost, almost the entire party um, is sticking with him. If you look, especially if you look at folks like Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson. And uh, currently, it looks like anybody who puts a toe out of line is punished immediately. Just look at um, people who. voted to convict him in the senate for a second impeachment at the at the capitol insurrection like uh, senator toomey and um representative cheney um that they, they were all censured by their state's republican parties so uh, although his base is still for him um his base is still for him uh through and through um and if you go to places uh The quote Trump country. You see these Trump 2020 flags waving up. You see some flags with Trump's face on them. So this is really really interesting because he's a. You don't see people getting this enthusiastic after he loses. So um, typically, Uh, you like I didn't I don't remember any John McCain flags flying soaring in the sky and in 2009. So, and you have also uh, I know I'm. (laughs) saying saying a bit much, but um, the nature of the party has also gone from more economically conservative and limited government uh, to to more of a populist nature. Um, So Anshu, I wanted to ask you, um, what I noticed is that when politicians are about to contest a major election, you know, you see a couple of signs. Um, There's much more interaction with the media, they're they're much more active, they um, express strong and concrete views. Uh, so so in my opinion, it's very viable that he's in fact preparing for a potential 2024 run. So my my question is, first of all, where is the Republican Party headed? And and A, do you think Trump is gonna run in 2024? And B, do you think he has a chance of getting the nomination with the GOP?
3: I think absolutely Trump is gonna run again. No president or former president is this politically active or um Well, Trump was always popular in the media, so media attention is not that large of a deal, but no former president is this politically active or this like center of attention, even when he's banned from Twitter, which I think is a big deal uh, without an ulterior motive and his motive is to run again. But do I believe he's gonna be reelected? That depends on how Biden does or how satisfactory Biden's policies are to moderates who did lean towards Biden this election, which is a lot which is a lot of moderates did all uh, lean towards Biden. And I believe it's just to see, okay, I understand the hate that's, um Trump is getting and let's see how this president does. And I do believe this was the incentive um, or the popular opinion um, among moderates who did lean towards Biden. So his winning is 100% going to be supported by the Republican Party. Because as you said, Republicans that criticize Trump, even after his presidency is over, get enormous hate or get canceled or get really just it's a lot of hatred from the Republican party which is rare cuz the president is gone so he does have a big um impact on the Republican party and we see how and I see how he's outspoken he says what we want to hear and i believe that's one of the reasons people still favor him and that's one of the reasons he's still going to run again and it's going to be it's not going to be a um an election where we'll see Biden just winning easily because it's never that with Trump so that's my prediction I think if he runs again it's going to be a very um close run as it is always because Trump is still favored I mean I live in Blacksburg guys you go outside of university premises all you see is Trump 2020 and the confederate flags like the the love is here you don't see it in Nova or Richmond but the love is here so that's what I believe.
0: So I was also wondering what's going to happen in the more um, what's going to happen to the more you know traditional conservative but um, you know distant from Trump the, that that wing of the party with you know you have people like Mitt Romney and Ben Sasse um, uh, and others like Lisa Murkowski uh, for example um, to me I think the GOP is at a fork in the road right now uh, regarding whether to continue with Trumpism or return to tradition right now it's looking like they're continuing with Trumpism. Um, but uh, Annabelle, let me ask you: What, what do you think is going to happen to these um, uh, to these kind of outcasts in the Republican Party that are uh, not on board with the with the Trumpist wave?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that you know the one thing that I will not do is that I'm not going to make predictions. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think any of us do, and. I think the likelihood of trump exploring a 2024 run is you know very likely but you know none of us know what's going to happen in the future and a lot can change in four years donald trump it's undeniable that he still defines the republican party today but i think that um whether it happens or not i think that the republican party could benefit from you know distancing itself from donald trump a little bit i highly doubt that this is actually going to occur because he's such a you know, substantive part of the Republican Party and, you know, just seeing the results in 2016, you know, like you said, the silent majority, people talk about this, but it's very much still there. And if the Republican Party um, is going to, if they're looking for support, they're going to have to, you know, play towards these people who comprise that silent majority. Um, I think as with Donald Trump, you know, influencing mainstream politics as a whole. I honestly don't think that he deserves, you know, any role in politics, you know, going forward. And I don't personally think that we should be looking to someone who was, you know, impeached twice, who was a central figure and arguably caused an insurrection that killed five people. I don't think we should be looking to him about politics. I I couldn't care less about Donald Trump's opinion or his role in the political landscape, Um, but, I do think that it's different um, when you're looking at his actual influence on politics today, because you know he's very much still this very large figure in the party itself. Um, but I think that another problem when we're talking about you know people in West Virginia or Florida, Kentucky, you know the Republican Party, the reason that there was this silent majority in the first place is that because the Republican Party you know neglected them. There's still people just because they live in Florida or Kentucky, West Virginia, or whatever, and just because you know they may believe certain things that um, you know we disagree with, and I think that there's this tendency for people in the Northeast and for people who you know live in Nova or Maryland, and even myself, I do this too a lot, where you know we we think that our opinion is correct, and we think that you know we should be you know. Uh, going towards these more liberal policies of, you know, wearing masks and we, obviously that's the correct, you know, policy, but when you're thinking about these people, a lot of the um, political mistakes that I think that some politicians make is that they're treating these people as just, you know, another demographic that they have to win over, another just voter that they're going to have to convince to vote for them. And that they don't really care about these people's lives. Because, you know, although they may have different opinions, I think that, especially for me, just this disengagement with politics in general, that you know, we don't really care about these lofty ideas that politicians have or you know, these tiny issues over what's going to pay for this infrastructure bill. At the end of the day, it's about people's lives. And if a politician um, is going to actually pay attention for some to someone who has traditionally been neglected, then they're going to win over their vote. And that's just how it works. So at the end of the day, it's not about these ideas or, you know, these minuscule conflicts with policy. Um, it's about whether or not you're seeing these voters being cared about. And I think that's something that Donald Trump did for these voters for better or for worse. That's something that he did. And As for the future of the Republican Party, in the near future, they're going to continue to be defined by him. But we've seen some of these um, Republicans like Nikki Haley um, say that, you know, we need to acknowledge that he let us down and we shouldn't continue to go on that path of continuing to be defined by Donald Trump. But the issue is that the Republican Party is still very much defined by Donald Trump. And you know whether or not they're choosing to move away or choosing to stick with him, that's an issue that they're going to have to, you know, deal with. But if they do choose to, you know, deviate from Donald Trump's policies, they're going to have to win the voters that Donald Trump um, considered his base.
0: Yeah, so I very much um I, I like what you said um re- regarding Um, the the getting the silent majority in order to uh, win the elections. And I think um, it's very evident that that's the case because um, Trump won in 2016 because he won Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and uh, also Ohio and Iowa. Uh, Guess what all of those states have in common? They all went to Obama both times. And with regard to Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, that's the blue wall we're talking about the nobody's uh, in was uh, in Pennsylvania and Michigan. Nobody has voted for a Republican there since uh, since uh, George Bush Senior. And with for Wisconsin, the last time that voted Republican other than 2016 was uh, for Reagan in '84. So um, he crashed. He brought the blue wall down because he got these people who were Democrats who traditionally vote for Democrats because they uh, Trump's base tends to be more of a working class base. Um, uh, which is interesting because one of the, one of the major points that, um, uh, Democrats make, uh, against Republicans in the political, uh, in political debates is that they, um, are, are favored the, um, you know, an elite or the, the, ultra rich, uh, and you can interpret it either way, but, um, I mean, it seems that after Trump, that, uh, the working class is going more towards, um, republicans for whatever reason um so w- with with that being said these trump voters the, the trump based the silent majority uh the, the problem right now is that they're somewhat being isolated from the rest of um from the political from the rest of the political community um especially in uh, places like uh like nova in the northeast um you have um Especially among very, very liberal um, populations, you have some sort of a, uh, l- like an automatic, um, it, like people are automatically repelled from uh, th- these people, and you know the disagreements may be there. Uh, but but I, right now it just seems like it, you're either with Trump or you're without Trump, and it's uh, fight until the end of times. So. Uh, segueing into the our last topic today is you uni- uh, I want to talk about unity. Um, so America is extremely divided right now and um, and former President Trump is arguably largely responsible for that. So Purnima, let me ask you, how can America reconcile and how long do you think that would take? How
1: can America reconcile? Wow. Well, you know, we've been talking about how strong Trump's influences even even though he's not president anymore. And it's just okay, we look at Gen Z, we look at the generation that is going to be new voters, right? You think about the upcoming the election that's going to happen. And then the elections after that, you have this new generation coming in. And especially on social media, I've only seen people become more divided. Obviously, you have to take that with a grain of salt because social media only really shows you the more radical, the more extreme. You don't really see a lot of centrists on social media. They're not exactly trending. But the way I see things going now um, especially within young people, I feel like no matter which side of the spectrum you're on, I see things, I see people becoming even more extreme in their views, even more radical. So how long it would take for America to reconcile, I don't know, because I think both both Democrats and both Republicans are very stubborn. They're very hesitant to not only cooperate, but also sacrifice what they want just for the greater good. And I honestly can't say.
0: Very divided country indeed. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, uh, I, I am just trying to find uh, if anybody else knows uh, what, how America can reconcile. But at this point, it's so divided that Uh, It's really unknown. Uh, And I liked what you said a lot about social media polarization. I think that's a big uh, issue. I mean, you have one side, um, you know, saying uh, all Republicans are racists and the other side, you're saying all Democrats are anarchists. So, you know, it's uh, it's really divided so and that I, I being really said like this concludes the that. premiere That's episode of washington yeah. 13 lenses thank it's you really very fun. much to annabelle and anshu for joining our roundtable and Purnima and i will see you in the next episode good night